The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Acts chapter 6. We're doing a series called Unfinished. This morning we look at growing pains. I'm reading this morning from the NIV. In those days, when the number of disciples were increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer in the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Father, as we look at this section of your word, we pray that you would teach us, you'd instruct us, and that our lives would be changed as a result of it. In the name of Christ, amen. Thanksgiving week, it's a great week uh, to celebrate uh, what our nation has enjoyed for many years. We set aside a day for Thanksgiving. As a believer, every day should be filled with Thanksgiving. It's one of my favorite holidays because how can you go wrong with family, food, football, and then more food at the end of the day? It's just a great day together. In case uh, you're wondering about cooking your turkey, how many of you will cook a turkey this week? Let me see your hands. Uh, The majority of us will. Uh, I looked this up. Butterball has a 24-hour hotline that's open all day on Thanksgiving Day. (laughs) Do you know that? You can Google it up. It's there. And uh, if you Google up uh, problems with the turkey uh, or questions asked by, by, uh, of the Butterball hotline, it's quite interesting. For instance, uh, two years ago, uh, Home Alone, a Kentucky woman, was in the doghouse when she called the Butterball uh, turkey talk line. She was preparing her turkey, her miniature toy chihuahua. I thought every chihuahua was a toy, but uh, Choi Chihuahua jumped into the bird's cavity and could not get out. She frantically called the Butterball hotline saying she had been trying to shake the dog out of the turkey for 30 minutes and they were both distraught. After calming the lady down, they told her all she had to do was take her knife, open the cavity a little wider, and Fido could be released from captivity. And he was. Second call. A West Coast woman took turkey preparation to extremes by scrubbing her bird with bleach. She called the talk line to find out how to clean the bleach off. It seemed like uh, she couldn't get uh, everything off to her dismay. She was advised to throw the turkey away. Another butterball uh, call went this way. Uh, They had their turkey in the freezer for 23 years. (laughs) Customer service representatives said uh, it was probably okay to eat because it had been frozen the whole time but it wouldn't have any flavor because it would have deteriorated over two decades. The caller responded, that's what we thought. We're going to donate it to the church anyway. (laughs) Wow. Happy Thanksgiving. You know, this week, thankfulness depends on what's in your heart, not what's in your hand. Thankfulness depends on what's in your heart, not what's in your hand. And when I looked through the section of Acts chapter 6, I thought, here's something to be grateful for. 
I had Thanksgiving on my mind. I'm studying the scriptures, and I'm so grateful that the early leaders of the church dealt with a potentially volatile, divisive issue, and that the community of believers responded, and the church continued to grow. That's what this passage is about. I mean, there's a potentially divisive issue within the church. The leaders oversee it, deal with it, and the church, in verse 7, continues to grow. That's the whole message. You can take your nap, and I'll wake you up at the end. The problem. The problem is identified for us in verse 1. It's quite simple. Look at what it says. At this time, the number of disciples were increasing, so the church is growing. There were 5,000 people, 5,000 men in the church, maybe up to 10,000 people. We don't know the exact numbers, but what we find out, uh, the church continues to grow. Anytime a church grows, there are issues that are going to come up. We've seen that over the years at TBC. We've tried to manage growth. We've tried to be fruitful disciples and leaders of everything God has given us. But sometimes people fall through the cracks. That's what's happening here. I don't see anything in this section that says it's an intentional discrimination, but what I see is that that they were neglecting these Hellenistic widows just kind of fell through the cracks. The church has grown. The apostles can't oversee everything. There's an issue at hand, and so they need to deal with it. And and so there's a problem. The problem is that the Hellenistic Jews, uh, their widows were not having their needs, needs met, but the native Hebrew ladies' widows' needs were being met. So here's how it is. In Jerusalem, you had two groups of people. You had native Hebrews, those who were born in Israel, lived in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas, and these were the widows who, that would be their home. That's where they grew up. That's where they're from. Hellenistic Jews, Hellenistic means of Greek culture, of Greek influence. These are people that had probably been dispersed through the different uh, captivities, and now they had come back, probably during the Babylonian captivity. Many of them had left, but because of their faith and their desire to be good Jews, they they desired to return to the land, to return to Jerusalem, to return to the place where they could worship in the temple. And so they came back in. So you've got the natives who are very proud of their background, very proud of their heritage, very proud of the fact that they are natives, that they are from Israel, they've lived in Israel, they've grown up in Israel. And then you've got these other folks who've moved in, and these people look pridefully down upon those people. And so it creates a little dissension in the first century church. It's kind of like those of us who were born in Texas looking down upon those who were not born but came here anyway. You tried to close the borders a long time ago, but some of us snuck over from Louisiana, from north of the Red River, from the, from the south, from the west, and, and now you're stuck with us. And I did get one of those bumper stickers once. I wasn't born here, but I got here as quickly as I could. So been here 38 years, Louisiana only 22 years, so uh, we're here a lot longer. We love it, and it's home, and we're natives now, so deal with it. So you've got native Hebrews, you've got Hellenistic Jews, the widows of one group are being taken care of, but not the widows of another group, and the problem is brought about because the church is growing. They fell through the cracks, so to speak. They fell through the cracks. I I don't think there's anything sinful here, but I I think there's an issue here that needs to be dealt with. Now, initially, the early days of the church in Jerusalem were characterized by unity, by oneness of soul, by oneness of spirit. We saw this in previous passages. All the believers were together, and they held everything in common. Look at the end of it. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They're having a wonderful time. 
their home groups are flourishing. Everybody is enjoying one another. There's great unity in the body. They sell their stuff. They share their stuff with one another. Things are hunky-dory. In fact, it says in Acts 4.32, all the believers were in one heart, one mind. No one claimed any of their own possessions with their own, but they shared everything they had. Everybody is enjoying life. Life is good. The apostles performed signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers met together regularly in Solomon's colonnade. So we see the problem. The problem is they've had all this unity, all this excitement, all this joy, all this oneness, and now all of a sudden there's a problem. Now, the church in Jerusalem had uh, obviously been organized. They had a program for distributing stuff daily. In fact, if you look in your Bibles, it says the widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of what? What's it say in your Bible? Food. Is that word italicized in your Bible? If you've got a New American standard like I do, it is. You know why it's italicized? Because the word food is not in the Bible. It's not in the original text, rather. They were, I think they were distributing way more than food. We know that they brought money laid at the apostles' feet, and I think they were providing for them perhaps clothing, perhaps other needs, but certainly they were providing food for them as well. And so the church had become organized. Some don't like the fact that the church in the 21st century is organized. I'm going to tell you, you better be glad that it's organized. Now, you can organize the Holy Spirit right out of the church, that's wrong, or you can have no organization and mass chaos, and that's even worse. And so when you look at that, you recognize the need for organization. I'm grateful that God has given us through the New Testament scriptures a structure for the church, elders, deacons, and we see that they are to lead the church and that we are to follow their leadership. And so but we see that there's organization within the body of Christ. The grumbling takes place because of what's happening there. So conflict reared its ugly head in the church. It's endangered dividing. Everything was hunky-dory. Everybody was enjoying life. Everybody was one. People were selling what they had to provide for others. But all of a sudden they realized, you're providing for your ladies, but not providing for our ladies. We've got a problem here. By the way, conflict in the church is, is, is a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing. We've been blessed. Two weeks ago I preached on this. Maybe God has us doing this for two consecutive weeks. I'm preaching for a reason. I'm not sure. We saw two weeks ago, Ananias and Sapphira, remember they made a pledge to the church and they didn't deliver all that they had pledged. And so what did God do? Struck them dead on the spot. I told you that's why we don't do pledges at TBC. And so now we see a second conflict. That was a conflict kind of a, 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 that the, uh, the apostle had to deal with. Now we've got conflict within the church and, and so they're struggling. The church has conflict and it's sad that it does. I mean, we have been blessed at TBC. Somebody sent me an email and said, man, you almost have to be having real problems there at TBC. I heard you did a whole message on conflict. And a friend of mine from the community, I said, no, actually, I think by God's grace we're not, but the scriptures talk about it a lot. And we want to avoid it whenever possible. We want to deal with it whenever possible. I did a little research this week. In 1900, In the year 1900, there were 1,880 denominations, Christian denominations worldwide. 1,880. By the year 2000, 100 years later, by the year 2000, you know how many denominations there were? 1,880. 100 years later, 18,000, I'm sorry, 33,800 denominations. Do the math real quickly. Who's my mathematician out there? From 1880 to 33,800. You do them all together. How many percent? I mean, that's a lot. That's a huge increase. 
Here we go. There were, in the year 2000, there were over 100 varieties of Baptist churches in America alone. Baptist churches. Northern Baptist, Southern Baptist, General Baptist, Particular Baptist, Seventh-day Baptist, Hardshell Baptist, Freewell Baptist, Duck River and Kindred Associated Baptist. I'd like to... I don't know where Duck River is. Probably the dynasty guys, I guess, started their own deal. And then my favorite, the two-seed-in-the-spirit predestinarian Baptists. Somebody tell me what in the world that means. I have no idea. Two-seed-in-the-spirit predestinarian Baptists. There was a group of the Church of God. They broke off and called themselves the true Church of God. Those folks couldn't get along. They broke off, and they called themselves the only true Church of God. I mean, it's amazing. I told you there's a church in Atlanta called the Original Church of God in Christ, number two. (laughs) What what a mess. What a mess we can be. A a young rabbi was dismayed at a serious quarrel that broke place in the synagogue that he had been assigned to. It was Friday services. Half of the congregation stood up during the time of prayer. The other half sat down. And when the prayer was over, they began to yell at one another. You should be standing up. You should be sitting down. You should be standing up. And the poor young rabbi didn't know what to do. So he went to seek the guidance of his, uh, the rabbi of uh, the synagogue's founder. He was a 98-year-old rabbi living in a nursing home. He said, Rabbi, isn't it true that the tradition that he brought one man from standing and one from sitting, uh, the, 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 the different sections or sects in the church, So the guy from the standing side said, Rabbi, isn't it true that the tradition was always for people to stand at that point in the service? And the old rabbi said, no, that was not the tradition. So the guy who was sitting said, uh, representing that sect, said, it's true then that the people to stay seated. No, the rabbi said that was not the tradition. But Rabbi, said the young rabbi, what what, what do we do now? We're in complete chaos. Half the people stand, half the people shout. Uh, Some sit and scream. Ah, the yelling back and forth, that was the tradition. <laughs> you know, we've been blessed over the years we've been here. We've been blessed. And I said this two weeks ago. We've never had a major schism, a major division. We certainly had people come and go for various reasons, and, and, and we understand that. If God wants you another vineyard at some point in time, that's between you and him. But here's the reality. We will do anything. We will fight for the unity of this community. We'll fight for that. Because the reputation of Jesus is at stake. The reputation of our Savior is at stake. I'm convinced when brothers and sisters are at war, it grieves the Father's heart. When brothers and sisters are at war, it grieves the Father's heart. And so the disciples here, they're looking at this and they're saying, something's got to be done. Something's got to be done. By the way, our desire as a leadership team is to serve you. And if you feel like you're being neglected, like these widows felt they were neglecting, bring it to our attention. There's no way we can meet the needs of an entire body like this. And if there's a need that we're missing, something we're neglecting, in our staff meeting this week, we said, who's the group that maybe we're neglecting intentionally or non-intentionally? And I raised my hand. I said, I don't have a group for one-eyed, shaved-head Italians, so I'm mad. I mean, really, our desire is to serve you. And if, 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 we, if, if, if there's a need out there, we don't want you to be upset. We want to meet that need if at all possible. So just come to us. Just talk to us. Let's deal with it. Well, they offer a proposal. 
What's the proposal? They've identified the problem. Now there's a proposal. So the twelve summoned the congregation of disciples. Notice it's not just Peter and John, but they needed unity in the entire leadership team. Up until now, Peter and John have been the focus of Acts. Now all of them come together. We've got a problem in the community. We all need to deal with it. The whole leadership team needs to be unified. At Temple Bible Church, we have a policy of unanimity among our elders. We will not move forward to any decision, period, unless we're unanimous in our agreement. And so for the 33 and a half years I've been here, there's not been a decision made on the elder board at TBC that we've moved forward unless all the elders were in unanimous agreement of it. That's an amazing thing. That's an amazing thing. And by God's grace, you can see what he's done. He's blessed us. And now sometimes we've waited and we've prayed and we've prayed. Sometimes we uh, recognize that we don't need to move ahead. Maybe one of our brothers has a check in his spirit about something, so we don't move forward. Oftentimes we've had brothers who've laid aside personal preferences for the good of the body and recognize it, and we've moved on. And so they gather everybody together, and he said, It's not desirable for us to neglect the Word of God to wait tables. Look at verse 4. We must devote ourselves to prayer and ministry of the Word. So they identified a need for priority. Note well, they don't deny the problem. The apostles immediately took action. They didn't let the conflict fester. They didn't say there's not a conflict and sweep it under the table. They didn't deny the truth that they had a problem. They identified it and said, We have an issue. If we did that more in the workplace, if we did that more in our families, I believe, we would deal with issues more readily and instead of just sweeping on the table tonight. What dysfunctional families do, they sweep everything on the table and pretend it didn't exist. Hey, we don't have a problem. <laughs> Not with us. The family we call the church, if we're into good leadership, will deal with issues as they come up. We'll deal with them in godly ways. We'll go to the Word of God. And here's how you deal with those issues. As God's children, this is Colossians 3, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. I've got an issue with you. You've got an issue with me. If I've got an issue with these friends on this road right here, the Youngs, the Rimlings, and the Gilkersons right here, we got issues? Right now we do, okay? Say, yeah, right now. No, I'm just kidding. We, we, don't, we don't have any issues. I don't have any issues with these families right there. But, but if we did, I, I would go to Greg and say, Greg, we need to deal with this. And here's how we need to deal with it. As, as God's loving, God chosen people, we're going to put in a heart of compassion, a heart of kindness, a heart of humility, gentleness, and patience. And Phil, we're going to bear with one another. You're not going to be a bear towards me and me to you. We're going to bear up with one another. And Dennis, you know what? We're going to forgive one another as we've been forgiven in Christ Jesus. That's how godly people deal with issues. They'll never sit on that row again right there. <laughs> but isn't that how godly people deal with godly issues? So let me ask you a question. Do you deal with conflict that way? Do you? I mean, I wrote down in my notes, most people ignore it, rationalize it, get mad, get even, deny it, take their toys, and leave. I mean, we like to get even, don't we? Husband and wife are giving one another the silent treatment. You ever do that? Nope, nobody here. Uh, you know, you're smarter than to raise your hand in front of your spouse. They were given one of the silent treatment because of an issue they had at home. They had an argument, and so both of them were quiet. Nobody was going to lose that game. Suddenly the man realized that the next morning he would need to be awake at 6 o'clock in the morning for a business meeting. His wife got up before him, not wanting to break the silence. He wrote on a piece of paper, please wake me up at 5 a.m. And he put it on her nightstand where she would see it. 
The next morning, the man woke up. It was 8 o'clock in the morning. He was furious that she had not woken him up. He was furious. He was about to call her at work and give her a piece of his mind when he reached to turn on the lamp. And when he did, he saw a piece of paper sitting on his nightstand that said, It's 6 o'clock. Wake up. (laughs) Ever play that game? You can raise your hand right now. There you go. Yeah, you've played that game before. You know, the apostles didn't deny the issue. They dealt with the issue. In our personal lives, in our church life, in our business life, it's wise to deal with issues in a godly way. It's wise to deal with those issues as godly people should. And when we don't, we always think the worst. So the 12 are united. They don't deny the allegations. In fact, they, they said, we have business to do, and our business is to devote ourselves to the word and prayer. By the way, I appreciate the way that our elders take care of us, and they allow us as staff to utilize our time to do those things, but this is not an escape clause, and you don't serve either. I mean, this isn't saying, well, Gary's going to put himself in his office and never serve people. That's wrong. In our early years, we met at the Mayburn Center. We had to uh, set up and tear down. Every single week, we had to tear up and set down. It took about an hour to do it. So we had a set-up crew that came in, tear-down crew that came in, and uh, one week we had to pick up all the chairs, and we had a new dude who only showed up about for three or four weeks. About the second week he was there, I thought he was an older guy. Looking back, he's probably in his mid-40s. At that time, seemed a lot older to me. At that time, I was in my early 20s or mid-20s, and we're all there hustling chairs, picking them up, and I see this dude standing over there, so I thought, must be injured or something. So I walked over there, and I said, uh, man, are you okay? And he said, yeah, why do you ask? And I said, well, I mean, we're moving chairs. I figured you had something wrong that you couldn't do it. He said, I've got the gift of teaching, not moving chairs. <laughs> now, you guys know me well enough now. I wanted to say, get your lazy teaching butt over there and move chairs with the rest of us. This is not an escape clause not to serve. That's not what this is. This is about the priority within the body. See, if you expected me to make every hospital visitation, expected me to show up at everything, we have 11 staff at TBC with a church with about 3,000 attending, over 4,000 would call us home. Only 11 staff people. It's about half as much as any church our size. And we do that philosophically on purpose. We believe that it's our job to equip you to do the work of ministry, and we don't want to rob you of the privilege and the joy of ministry. And so that's why we want you to be in a smaller group where you can have community, where you can grow with one another, where those things take place. And if you depend upon us to do it, 11 people can't accommodate the needs of all these folks, but we will make sure those needs are met. And that's what the apostles did. So what do they do? They made this proposal. The proposal is we got to pray, we got to study the Word, but we're going to select seven people. Look at them in verse 3. Here are the qualifications to wait tables in the first century. Men of good reputation, full of the Spirit, and full of wisdom. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Hey, we want seven guys to wait tables to be servants. What kind of guys do we want? We want brothers, first of all. That's what it says. And then we want wise men. We want spiritual, spirit-filled men. And we want men whose reputation is good. Just to wait tables, sure. Because they represent the reputation of the Savior. And then the the apostles do an amazing thing. If you look at the seven names there, not many of us have sons named Procanus, Nicanor, 
Not many of us have. We have a few Stevens here and probably a few Nicholas here, but, but not the rest. Those seven names are all Greek names. Why Greek names? Because who was the problem with the Hellenistic widows, the Greek widows, the Greek-speaking widows? So in their wisdom, the apostles say, if we're not taking care of your widows, we'll make sure they get taken care of. We'll put your dudes in charge of your widows and all the widows. And so it's an amazing way to solve the issue. We're going to take care of the problem. And so they do it. Well, that's the proposal. And... Uh, then a miracle really happens. Look at verse 5. And the statement found approval with who? The whole congregation. The entire congregation. Well, the first miracles, uh, the entire church agreed upon the decision. Probably hadn't happened since in the history of the church. <laughs> By the way, D.L. Moody said, the measure of a man is not how many servants he has, but how many people he serves. Who are you serving? Where are you serving? I mean, really, who are you serving? If your life is all wrapped up in you, that's a mighty small package. Who are you serving? Where are you serving? Jesus wasn't modeling servanthood. He was a servant. He wasn't feigning something or role-playing to teach us something about servanthood. He was letting us see who he truly was. So they approve of it. And then after that approval, look at verse 7. The church continued to grow. They dealt with the problem. People in Jerusalem and even the priest were coming to faith in the Savior. Well, they still met the needs of widows. At TBC, we do that. We've got a ministry called New Song, specifically targeting widows. And ladies, if you're a widow, we want to minister to you. That's an avenue of ministry. Each deacon is assigned one or two widows to minister to. If uh, they if widows have needs, they can do that. We've got a group called the Go-To Guys. Uh, they do handiwork. They exist. That, that group exists to meet the needs of widows as well as uh, single moms who have uh, small household things that need to be repaired. It's our desire to minister to our community. We want that to happen. And if you're a widow, we, we honor you. A widower, we honor you. We're grateful you're here. We know a lot of times you show up on Sunday morning alone. And we're grateful that you make the effort to be part of our body. Our new song ministry is an amazing ministry. We've got a bunch of widows. There are about 15 to 20 widows that meet together every week. We're grateful for that. In fact, we honor a lot of people at TBC. We honored veterans two weeks ago. We honor our missionaries whenever they visit us. If you're a widow or a widower, we want to honor you. We want to thank God for you being part of our body. Would you mind standing this morning? If you're a widow or widower, we would like to thank God for you being a part of our body this morning. So would you stand right now? There we go. Look at that. Bunch of them. Look at that. We thank God for you. We thank God for the effort that you make to be part of our body and for the way you minister to us and care for us. And it's our desire to do the same for you. Well, the need is met. The church grows. Good things happen. You know, you've got to ask one question. With that, I'll conclude. Why in the world, out of everything that happened in the first century, does Luke include this? Why does he include it? Luke is writing the book of Acts. Why is he included? Think for two reasons. Number one, to show that the early church had issues. Show the early church had issues. I get people that come over the years and they'll say, man, we wish we could find a true first century church. I mean, they'll come, you know, they'll visit once or twice. We're looking for a true first century church. I'll say, great, tell me which one. Church of Corinth? You know what happened to church of Corinth? 
They had some dude sleeping with a stepmom. They had people dying at the Lord's table. They were abusing spiritual gifts, and some were denying the resurrection. I mean, you want to be part of that church? Sign up. You want to be part of the church of Galatians? You know what the battle of Galatia was? Denying the gospel. That, that the gospel is faith plus circumcision, not faith in Christ alone. Maybe you want to be the church at uh, Ephesus because later on in Revelation 3, it was said of the church at Ephesus, we have this against you. You have deserted your what? First love. And so you want to be part of the first century church? Uh, Recognize that if you find the perfect church, don't join it because you'll ruin it. That's why. It doesn't exist. Never has. Second reason, I think the most important reason. In God's overarching scheme of things, see, ever since the fall, things have gone awry. Ever since Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, things have been awry. Relationships have been broken. People struggle. Churches divide. But God's redemptive plan, God's redemptive plan are for normal folks like you and me, just like us, to deal with the issues of life And to walk in harmony. Because the scriptures say, Jesus said, they shall know you are my disciples by your love for one another. And so he says, when you have issues, you deal with them. You deal with them lovingly. You deal with them graciously. You deal with them as Christ would. So my encouragement to you is to fight for unity in our community. If you're looking for things to be grateful for this holiday season, one of the things I hope that you're grateful for is the unity God has given this body for over three decades. And thank God for wise apostles that set an example for us how to deal with problems. And if you're still struggling with having a perspective on gratitude, Let me share with you what Matthew Henry did. Matthew Henry was a famous scholar and pastor. He was accosted by thieves. He was robbed of his purse back in the 18th century. And he was known for a man whose heart was always filled with gratitude. So if you struggle with giving thanks this Thanksgiving, our our tradition is before the meal we gather in a circle. And normally we've got a bunch of visitors. And we'll have everybody introduce themselves. And when you introduce yourself... Share one thing you're grateful for today. So if you're struggling with that this Thanksgiving, pray that you'll be like Matthew Henry, the man known for a heart of gratitude. He was robbed. His people said, we don't know what Dr. Henry will be grateful for this Sunday. So he got up and said, in my diary I wrote these words. Let me be thankful first, because I've never been robbed before. (laughs) Don't you love that? The first thing I'm thankful for, I've never been robbed before. Secondly, because although they took my purse, they didn't take my life. Thirdly, because although they took my all, it certainly was not very much. And fourthly, because it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. Even being robbed, finding four reasons to be grateful. Enjoy Thanksgiving. Be grateful we had brothers and sisters in the early church who admitted we got a problem, but we're going to deal with it. And the church continued to grow. So we sit here in Central Texas today as a part of that continuity of believers who worship God. Amen? Thank you, Father. Thank you for a season of gratitude.
And God, I, I pray that you'd continue to protect this body. Lord, I pray that years after many of us are gone, it would still be a body of believers that are known by their love for one another, their unity in the Spirit. Father, for any of us that are odds with others in this body or within our family, relationships in our community, I pray we would be those who are doers of the word this week, be reconciled in Christ's name. Amen. Bless you.